Welcome to the Health Changers podcast presented by Cambia Health Solutions, where we share real stories of healthcare transformation from those experiencing it and those helping to make healthcare more personalized. I'm your host, Rachel. Young people today are experiencing an alarming increase in mental health challenges. According to the U.S. Surgeon General, in the past decade, the number of high school students reporting persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased by 40% and those seriously considering attempting suicide increased by 36%. The wide-ranging effects of COVID-19 pandemic have made matters worse. Today on Health Changers, we'll talk with an organization that's on the forefront of responding to the mental health crisis among youth. Lions for Life is a nonprofit that's dedicated to preventing substance abuse and suicide. We'll hear from Dwight Holton, its CEO, and Emily Moser, Director of the Youth Line Program at Lions for Life. Our conversation is hosted by Andre Michelli, the Clinical Director of Behavioral Health for Cambia. Welcome, Dwight and Emily. It's so great to have you here and be uh, recording this podcast with you on this really, really crucial topic. Can you start out by telling us about Lines for Life and what your organization does? Sure. Lines for Life is a nonprofit dedicated to preventing substance abuse and suicide and promoting mental wellness. And we do three things to meet that mission really well. First, we do crisis intervention, and that looks mostly like uh, answering crisis calls, texts, chats from uh, over 160,000 people a year. Second, we do prevention work, and that's both systemic prevention as well as prevention in schools. And then third and finally, we do policy and advocacy around suicide prevention and substance abuse prevention. That is wonderful, and it's such important work. And I really like to hear what you're doing in schools because I think the, the prevention aspect is something in behavioral health that very often isn't isn't get, given enough airtime. Um, so the the landscape of of behavioral health with kids has has definitely changed over the last few years. It's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, there's been an increase in over forty percent. Of, of high school students reporting sadness and, and feelings of depression, um, increase in outpatient utilization and going to outpatient mental health, um, increase in, in hospitalizations, um, suicide attempts, suicide rates, um, all the things that we don't want to see. So what is Lines for Life doing um, to help combat this? Well, we have a number of initiatives that we run at Lens for Life targeted specifically around youth mental health, but the centerpiece is really our youth line. Our youth line is a teen-to-teen crisis service that uses about uh, close to 200 youth volunteers who are highly trained to answer crisis calls, texts, and chats from their peers. And there's nothing more effective, and there's nobody better to talk about it than my colleague, Emily Moser, who runs our youth line. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to talk to talk about Youthline in a little bit more detail. Like uh, our our parent organization, Lines for Life, uh, the work that we do on the Youthline really has three different components. One is very specific to the work that we do um, through crisis intervention and support of uh, teens and young adults. So, as Dwight said, we do uh, work with. Uh, 
uh, anywhere between 160 to 200 volunteers uh, that range in age from 15 to uh, 21, 22 years old, and they are highly trained. They go through uh, 65 plus hours of uh, of training that includes certification in, in some of the hallmark uh, trainings around suicide intervention and mental health. So it includes Safe Talk, Youth Mental Health First Aid, and for many of our uh, of our young volunteers, it includes assist training, which is the hallmark of uh, suicide intervention training. Uh, they also, because of the nature of the work that we do on the lines, um, learn a lot about how to take care of themselves at, and uh, self care, and communicating with not only folks on the lines, but but their peers um, in the uh, school setting, as well as in a crisis intervention setting on the lines um, themselves, we take contacts via phone call, text, chat, and email. And uh, the, the issues range um, in uh, sort of complexity, starting on the simpler side, where we're looking at, at issues uh, that folks are calling us around that have to do with what we might consider regular teenage stress or, or more in the norms of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. So what's going on at school, maybe uh, what's going, relationship issues with your family and or your peers and work to help normalize whatever it is that you're feeling and then move into a place of problem solving and um, working together to come up with some solutions around um, reaching out for additional help. It can be very complicated because we do talk to teenagers that are uh, feeling some of the some of the things that that you mentioned earlier around uh, feeling depression, anxiety, isolation, loneliness. Some of these are a function of COVID, and some of them um, just quite frankly have existed for quite some time. So our teens are also trained to be able to actively listen to young people and normalize what it is that they're feeling, partly because it's their peers, and um, they can, quite frankly, understand and relate to what some of those feelings are and what some of those emotions might be um, or how some of those emotions might be impacting the day-to-day -day life. So we do take contacts from individuals that are um, experiencing suicidal ideation and we do sit with them in that moment to help problem solve and troubleshoot and put self-care and safety plans in place so the young people that call us can get the help that they need from the resources um, that, that they identify in and around their own community. Something that, that I've seen in, in my career is the, the significant impact that economic and social barriers play in, in mental health, whether it's stigma or access to resources um, or even you know just seeking out help um, and acknowledging that you may need help so so are there things that you do to address those economic and social barriers yeah it's a super important point and um, straight off the first part of the answer is that what we do is a free service that we provide to anybody and um, and we are reaching more and more people, more and more young people every year with the youth line. So, uh, you know, I think uh, 10, 11 years ago, we were talking to maybe a thousand kids and had nine student volunteers. 
Uh, last year, we talked to more than 25,000 kids in all 50 states. We're open in, and available for folks, um, without, obviously without regard to cost. But Emily and the team have launched a really innovative program to support volunteers from communities where volunteering might be a little harder, right? Where the financial barriers, either because of transportation or because there are other things going on in the house where the kid needs a job or some form of income in order to support the household. Um, we've created a fellowship program um, where students can uh, actually get a stipend to work on the youth line. And this is part of our effort to help diversify and reach broader communities than we've been able to reach in the past, not just with the service, but with the experience of being a youth line volunteer, which is so incredibly enriching. Um, we are uh, launching a satellite on the uh, Warm Spring with, in connection with the Warm Springs uh, um, Reservation. Really excited about that. Um, we'll also be launching a satellite in uh, East Portland or East County sometime in the next year is my guess, right, Em? Um, mm -hmm. We're gonna bring the service to broader communities and reach further communities. It sounds like no matter what someone's status is, economic status, social status, Lines for Life is for everybody. I mean, you you can meet everyone's needs where they are, which is incredible. And that's, I think, one point that we really want to bring home. It's, you know, no, it's the doors aren't closed to, to anybody. That's absolutely right. I'll say a really important part of that that we've been working on, especially hard the last couple of years, is building not just a diverse workforce and a diverse set of teenagers and young people to work on the youth line, but also building cultural responsivity into what they do. It's something the youth line has been a pioneer on, but we're also working on it with the rest of our, of our counseling staff as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. I know, you know, the social worker in me, I've, I've learned very early on that, that there, you know, it's, cultural aspects are so important to take into consideration when someone does or does not uh, need services because we don't want to do anything or, or um, suggest anything that would, you know, as I violate too strong a word, but, but go against what their, their cultural norms are. So that's, that's great to hear. And, um, you know, social media is <laughs> blown up. Um, thanks to COVID even more than it was already, you know, it was already huge. And especially with teens, um, they live and breathe social media, which can be a good thing, but it can also be a dangerous thing. So how how um, has that impacted your work? And are is Lines for Life doing anything specifically addressing the effects of social media on kids and depression? The two most important things that I would say is that uh, because we are a youth development, youth advocacy program, that we work with the, the volunteers that work with us to advise us and to guide us in how we manage our own social media. So uh, we, have a, uh, we have our own Instagram and we have a Facebook page. And a, a lot of the messaging that we do uh, around that is uh, guided and there's a lot of input from the youth as to what and how that looks. And um, we use it in such a way really to send messages around hope and destigmatization, help and recovery. Again, I go back to the normalizing, uh, uh, the help seeking behavior, normalizing this idea that it's okay not to be okay. And it, it, it's meant to be sort of on a peer to peer type platform. So uh, so our youth are using that platform 
with the help of the adults that work on our staff to send these messages that that help normalize and again um, offer hope. Uh, I think part of what you're asking me though too is the negative aspects of social media and and what we're doing um, to come combat that. And I think it's really around education and awareness across the board. That's uh, knowing and understanding. It's it's very interesting because depending upon which youth you're talking to, um, the response that you will get, and I think Dwight would probably echo this being the, the father of teenagers, that that if you have a, an awareness and if you have an understanding where uh, uh, the young person is being critical about what they're seeing and learning and how they're using social media, that, that we have youth that will come back to us and say, yes, it, it's all a good thing. It's just a matter of how you actually engage and then how do you turn it off? How do you set it aside when, um, when you need to? And uh, that, that's a super challenging piece to work with. So it goes back to education. It goes back to just like uh, 10 years ago when, when we were talking about advertising. What does it mean to be a critical thinker about advertising? It's the same thing. What does it mean to be a critical thinker about how you're using social media? So in the classroom, we can address that. And we definitely address that with the uh, with the uh, 200 volunteers that we have working on Youthline. Emily, can you talk a little bit also about our effort to support folks on social media, our affirmative effort to, to uh, identify folks who are struggling and, and give them a hand? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we do also have a, an additional program that is part of uh, the Youthline program where uh, we have determined that this social media can be a very challenging place for young people to express some of these um, these unhealthy coping, me coping mechanisms in such a way where they don't get the help that they need. They're just emoting on social media. Uh, so we have created a program called Safe Social Spaces where we have uh, crisis intervention specialists that are reaching out to young people on social media and um, and just talking to them, expressing concern for uh, whatever they have been uh, posting and um, offering resources, offering to problem solve, uh, offering to sit with them in that moment to move them to a place where they are actually reaching for reaching out for help in a way where they're talking to somebody on a crisis line or they're getting a resource um, that can help them move forward. Social media definitely isn't going anywhere. So we, we have to use it to our advantage and take it, it, it take the, the positives from it and how it can help us with, with these efforts. Um, so shifting a little bit, we know that um, kids are not just small adults, that their brains are different, their thoughts and feelings are different. They're, they're still forming who they, they are and wanna be. So how does crisis look different between a, a youth and an adult? And how should our responses to those crises be different? I want, I want Emily to answer this, but let me just answer it first from a non-clinical perspective, because I'm not a clinician, I'm just a lawyer. But what, what one of the most interesting things and impactful things that Emily and the team have taught me is that the stresses kids face from grades, from relationships, from peer pressure, are physiologically identical to the stresses I feel about making my mortgage payment or making payroll. 
The difference is I have 56 years of coping skills. And so this comes back to something you said earlier. If we can reach kids with the lower grade challenges, they're calling us because they don't know how to tell mom they failed a math test or because their uh, significant other broke up with them. If, they, if we can reach them for those lower grade challenges, help them develop those coping skills, those positive help seeking skills where they're willing to reach out to adults. If we can do that in the less acute setting, we hopefully won't see them later in the more acute setting. Yeah, thank you, Dwight. Uh, that's really important is to uh, it, just reemphasizing that it doesn't really matter on the youth line or in the work that we do in, in the schools. It doesn't really matter why you're calling us or why you're contacting us. If if you're experiencing crisis because of it, then then we're going to sit with you and work through whatever the challenges are related to that. Uh, and I would say that what that does look like sometimes is on that that um, lower acuity scale around maybe it's the first time ever that uh, that you have been in a breakup and you're experiencing emotions around, uh, around grief that you've never felt before. So being able to have conversation about that and um, Again, I go back to the word normalizing, that it's that feeling what you feel in this particular example around grief is 100% normal and we're okay sitting with you while you're talking about it, which is different sometimes from when an adult is is working with a young person. And and, and I've done it. I, I, I'll be the first to say that even with my own children, I I'm the, could be the person that is like, Oh, you're going to be okay. There's going to be a lot of you're you're going to be in a lot of relationships, and um, in a lot of ways that is incredibly um, not helpful. And so, what our team does and what our youth do is there isn't any judgment, there isn't any um, opinions, there isn't any advice around whatever it is you're feeling. It's about sitting in the moment, regardless of whether it's it's something related to tests and school, uh, grief and loss around a relationship, an argument with your parents, uh, all the way down to uh, sometimes what we see around suicidal ideation and self-harm. I think the other piece that's super important about some of the differences are is that we have youth that are contacting us that we believe for the very first time they've ever reached out for help to anybody ever about something that feels super uncomfortable. And oftentimes the conversations, even though we are a crisis support and helpline, the conversations don't start with, I need help, or they don't start with, I'm feeling suicidal, uh, which is on some of the other lines you can assume if they're calling the, 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 the lifeline, the suicide lifeline, that this person is, is really in a place where they, they might be experiencing some suicidal ideation. On the youth line, that might be true. But we oftentimes work through a time frame where the conversation literally starts. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? And and they're testing the waters around what it means to be reaching out and um, talking to a peer in this type of a setting. And what presents is something like I'm having a hard time at school 
And after an extended conversation, come to find out that potentially a youth is being bullied at school and is experiencing suicidal ideation because of it. But oftentimes the conversations don't start that way. I think it, it, it's perception. It's, you know, what's, what's a crisis or stressful to me may not be to you. So it's, it's how one perceives an event. So, so you're absolutely spot on. We can never minimize or say someone's feelings or response to something is wrong. It is, it is what it is. And we go from there. It always amazes me when adults don't think kids have stress, you know, because they don't have jobs and they're not supporting a family. Stress is stress and it, it's there. So it's great that it sounds like what you're doing with the, the, the line and the volunteers is, is absolutely incredible. You know, just, just listening and being there and saying it's okay um, and developing that relationship and the rapport over the phone so that they, they can eventually open up a little more. Well, and I think it, that's, I'm really glad that you point that out because if that is like the first step to being able to get to a place where you can start thinking about self-care, you can start thinking about safety plans, you can start working towards identifying the trusted adults and or the other resources that are actually within your safety net and work towards getting the help that you need. Uh, over the course of time. And just the whole idea of being able to uh, work with young people to help them understand that you can get help and it's okay to get help. Oh, and by the way, let's work through a pathway that means that, that this is what's gonna work for you. And then one of the unique things about what we do also on the, the youth line is that we ask young people if we can check back in with them. So we do follow-up contacts as well. So if we make a safety plan or a self-care plan that includes reaching out to a school counselor the next day, we can call them back and ask them how that went. And if it didn't go like it was supposed to, or they didn't do it for some reason, then we can sit with them again and practice and think through if this isn't, if this isn't the right way to do it, what is? And we stick with them until they until they're ready for us to, or they've moved on, I guess is the best way to put it. And it's a unique feature of text that that conversation kind of never ends, right? Or it doesn't have to have an, an obvious endpoint where you, and we, we do with calls, call, we call people back, but it's not the same. And, and it's worth noting that the majority of our contacts with the youth now are by text. And in fact, you know, the youth are there from four to 10 every day. We see young people who are reaching out to us wait until then to reach out if you reach out outside that time you'll get a text back saying if you need immediate help here's who to call but otherwise we'll get back to you tomorrow uh, but it's really interesting that kids the young people seem to have figured that out and that's when they come to us i have a long history in uh managed care and behavioral health going back to 2005 um and, and i've seen a shift over the years with with kids and um seeking higher level of care, inpatient hospitalization, residential treatment. And earlier on, um, it, it was a lot of behavioral issues and, and families wanting help with behavioral issues, but we've definitely seen an increase in admissions with kids and more depression, more suicide attempts, more suicidal ideation, things around you know school bullying, um, admissions you know, for suicidality around school bullying really blossomed um sadly several years ago and so 
it, it goes back to our earlier points about the, the increase in feelings of sadness and depression amongst kids and teens. So, uh, you know, you referenced the, the work in the schools and, and early intervention, which is great. Are there, there are any other things that, that Lines for Life is doing um, to try to prevent and, and help families, help the families with their kids, um, providing other resources before they get to the point where they need a hospitalization? With the goal being we want to keep kids safely in their homes with their families at school being a kid. Yes, uh, I think that uh, we could talk a little bit about the uh, some of the additional work that we do in the schools. Uh, so we have a team of coordinators that work regionally around the state and are working with uh, schools to develop out their school suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention policy, which is really this big umbrella around mental health and wellness. So. As we know, uh, youth spend uh, most of the majority of their time in or at school and at home. Those are the two places where they spend the most time. So with uh, by working with administrators and health teachers and counselors to develop a comprehensive plan uh, that means that in a school setting, the curriculum is being addressed, uh, intervention uh, procedures and policies and protocols are uh, laid out in a way that means everybody knows how uh, how you manage a youth that is experiencing some of the challenges that you just talked about. And as a part of that, what does it mean to engage family in those conversations? So it's challenging for sure. And and for uh, I you know between the work that we do on the youth line and the work that we're doing in schools. I think that we're impacting a high number of, of students. And there's still that challenge with the, uh, on the lines, on the youth line, we de-escalate anywhere from uh, 97 to 98% of the contacts uh, on a regular basis. And there's still that 2% that um, here, uh, that we, we are working on looking at what the, those different levels of care are um, and working with partners like the Oregon Health Sciences University specifically to work through how we improve the system, um, particularly as we move towards um, 988. Emily, you mentioned 988. Could you please tell us a little bit more about that for people who aren't familiar? Sure, I'm happy to. So 988 is the new emergency number equivalent to 911 for behavioral health response. Uh, this is something that will be rolled out nationally uh, in July and uh, will be a number that is available for folks that are experiencing a mental health emergency or a mental health crisis and will have a direct number to reach out to to get the support that they need. So I would love to hear from you both about a, a story. And I know our audience would love to hear a real life story. Um, of how Lines for Life has has impacted someone's life. Well, so I would really have to say there's uh, that on the lines there's because we do three different things on youth line that I, I can tell three very short stories. So uh, on the line itself, 
we have uh, had youth that have reached out and I can't tell a, a, a detailed specific story, um, but I can say that we have had youth that have reached out uh, that started the conversation with, uh, in particular, this particular case, started the conversation by talking about wanting to change her makeup and uh, going to school was worried about changing changing the look her her look and that her parents were very upset about the fact that that she wanted to use makeup in a different sort of way and we sat with her through that just thinking through makeup what does that look like what does that feel like and came to the point where we realized that the reason why she wanted to change that was because she was being teased and bullied at school regarding um her look and that her parents uh had some religious beliefs that meant that maybe uh, it wasn't that they didn't approve of the changes she was making. And all of that built into um, some thoughts and some suicidal ideation. So we, we were able to have the conversation up to the point at, where we understood that at this point in time that she was actually thinking about taking her own life as a result of these challenges and worked through what it might look like to talk to your parents about the bullying, talk to some some counselors at school of, about the bullying and have a, a an action plan to be able to do that and um, move her away from that feeling of hopelessness. So um, that that's an impactful story where at the end of the day, she basically said to us that, that that if, if, if we weren't there, that she might not be here either um, to be able to help work through that. And then I also want to talk a little bit about the, our youth development program. The teenagers and the young adults that work for us uh, on a regular basis will tell us that by volunteering on Youthline, it changed their life. And the, the confidence that they gained and the, the communication skills that they gained and that the skills, not necessarily around empathy, but understanding um, that the feelings of others are uh, are complicated and ha then having the skill set to be able to communicate um, really are skills that they will use throughout the rest of your, uh, the rest of their life. Well, let me add also, I think um, this is a really important lesson we're learning in our satellite office in Central Oregon. We were very deliberate and essentially, and, and it's, and I'm going to tell you the punchline. This is about workforce, right? And we are dying in the behavioral health community with workforce. It's been a remarkable crisis. It's been exacerbated by the pandemic where people are burning out and leaving the field. And because of student loan debt, can't afford to stay in the field. So we've learned this incredible thing with our office in Central Oregon, where we uh, made a real point of prioritizing kids from the rural communities in. Uh, in Deschutes, Jefferson, and Crook counties. And some of the young people who've come to volunteer with us are, are folks for whom college felt like a stretch. But our satellite office is there on the uh, Oregon State University Cascades campus. These kids are coming and owning a part of that campus every week. They're working with faculty and students from that campus every week. And all of a sudden, campus college feels like not only something they can do, but something they will do, they'll own, they'll get a skill that makes them employable in their own communities at a decent pay. So it is really exciting um, to be seeing this pipeline workforce, this pipeline of workforce developed for these remarkable young people that we're working with. These stories are amazing. I get so excited here. You know, you're not just helping and, and Lunchful Life doesn't just help the 
the, the patient, um, but the, the people who serve. And now we have a whole budding field of, of therapists who already have a leg up um, because they've already done some of the work. This is so exciting. Um, so I just from our conversation, I know Lines for Life has done and is doing, continues to do some amazing things in our community. Can you give us any sneak peeks about anything that might be evolving or how you're planning to grow and continue this great work? Well, we sure can. Uh, we've got great stuff going on. Um, first and foremost, the reality is, and we realized a couple of years ago, is that this is a national service. We started it as an Oregon service. We've always targeted Oregon as our, as our audience, if you will. But for at least five years now, we've been talking to young people in all 50 states, and it's grown that, to the point that when you map it, you can see we are we are really heavily involved in all 50 states in the union. So the next step for Youthline is to recognize it as a national service and grow it as a national service. We've just been given some investment from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration to begin that process. Last week, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Xavier Becerra, was at Lines for Life. He visited with Youthline volunteers, and I told him when we get to the State of the Union next year, I'm really looking forward to hearing President Biden call on a Youthline volunteer in the gallery of the United States Congress as he announces his commitment to a national Youthline. So we're really excited about that, but we're also really excited about the work we're doing with tribal communities and our partnership with the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. Uh, I think that has real potential to grow into a national tribal peer youth line. So stay tuned on that. We're working on that. This has been so much fun getting to know more about the program, getting to know you both more. And I thank you, Dwight and Emily, for your time today. Um, and this conversation, I, I hope through this conversation, more people take advantage of Lines for Life and, and youth lines so that you're even busier than you are today. And ultimately, we are saving lives. And, and really doing great work in the community. So really appreciate this information. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Before we wrap up this episode of Health Changers, we asked Peggy McGuire, president of Cambia Health Foundation, to share a reflection on the episode and what she heard. Take a listen. Wow. The passion that I'm hearing on this topic from Dwight, Emily, and Andre is absolutely contagious. My name is Peggy McGuire, and I'm the president of the Cambia Health Foundation. We are the corporate foundation of Cambia Health Solutions. Lines for Life has been a longtime community partner of ours, and it has been such an honor to work with them and learn from them along the way. A few years ago, we invested in Lines for Life to help launch their youth line, which we just heard about on the episode. We invested in this because the concept of neighbor helping neighbor deeply resonated with us. Peer-to-peer -peer mental health support is an expression of neighbor helping neighbor, the principle upon which our parent company was founded more than 100 years ago. The need for better behavioral health support was an issue before the pandemic, but it's an even greater issue now because of all of the uncertainty caused by the pandemic and other social issues. Sometimes I say it was bubbling before the pandemic, but now it's reached a boil. The information that was included in this discussion was so important, but for me, a key takeaway 
is that it's crucial to remove the stigma around mental health care. We have to make it okay for people to ask for help. Think about it. You go to the doctor if you have a sore throat. You shouldn't hesitate to reach out to a therapist if you're feeling anxious or depressed. And sooner is definitely better than later. Sometimes talking to a peer is enough to make you feel better. It's not only okay to ask for help, but I'd love to see us get to a point where asking for help can be celebrated. Over the next five years, the Cambia Health Foundation is committed to expanding access to behavioral health resources in underserved communities. I'm deeply appreciative for the impact that Lines for Life is making in our communities, and especially for the peer-to-peer -peer work that builds resiliency in youth. And I'm so inspired by the teens who volunteer their time to answer calls with the youth line. The amount of training that they go through is impressive. And even though the work is serious, it's amazing to hear their energy, empowerment, and the fulfillment that these teens garner from the experience. As humans, we are wired to connect with each other. So many, many thanks to Dwight, Emily, and Andre for sharing their insights. The difference that Lines for Life is making in our community is truly inspiring. We're grateful. And that wraps up this episode of Health Changers. You can find more information on all of our episodes at cambiahealth.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cambia, C-A-M-B-I-A. You can now find Health Changers on all of your favorite platforms. Just search for Health Changers on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening.